Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church for Sunday, December 21st, 2014. The message this morning is entitled, Peace with God, by Dr. Lyle Schrag. It is based on Psalm 29. Well, it is getting to that point in the Christmas season where many of us are beginning to wonder whether or not we're going to make it. Gifts, cards, decorations, celebrations, programs, pageants, gifts, uh, guests... The list just keeps on going and going and going, and it piles up like snowdrifts threatening to bury us, doesn't it? This last week, I, I, I heard of one woman tell of what happened in her home. It was just after the third Sunday in Advent, and she thought she would see what her children uh, remembered from church, uh, where they had four candles like we have here um, in the Advent wreath. And so she asked them, what do the four candles represent? And her son piped in, well, let's see, there's love, joy, peace, and... And, and the six-year-old sister piped up, and she says, love, joy, peace, and quiet. <laughs> I, I think we can all agree right about now that's exactly what we need, peace and quiet. Well, peace has been a theme for the season as we've been going through uh, coming up to Christmas here at Ebenezer. And over these weeks, we began Advent with the word that we have as the peace of God, which passes all understanding in Christ Jesus. Last week it was reinforced with a reminder that our peace is from God. All we need to do is to come home to him. And this week I want you to know that we have peace with God as we belong to him. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, the climate of our relationship with him reflects his presence, doesn't it? I love the way Robert Shannon writes. He says that the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. He is not called the Prince of Hope, although that would be appropriate. And he is not called the Prince of Love, although that would fit him. He is not called the Prince of Faith, although that would not be out of place. But he is, in fact, called the Prince of Peace. Which means, if anything, that when our, when our lives go out of control, when they prove to be unruly, when we find ourselves torn into turbulence, his rule produces peace. In his, in his book, Peace with God, Billy Graham likens our life to a, the picture of a fragile bird in the middle of a storm. The, the, and he writes these words, Billy Graham does. He says, the storm was raging, the sea was beating against the rocks in huge dashing waves. The lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, the, the wind was blowing, but the little bird was, was sound asleep in the crevice of the rock, its head tucked serenely under its wing. That is peace to be able to sleep in the storm. In Christ, we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusions, the bewilderments, and the perplexities of this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. In Jesus Christ, we have found peace at last. The simple title that is given Jesus and The prophet Isaiah, the prince of peace, ties together two very powerful images. That of a prince, uh, a a regal nobility, that is a person who is possessed of majesty and authority and glory. The prince, but then also of peace. And that word peace speaks of a legacy of safety and security and and calmness and and satisfaction. And those two elements are forever tied together in the announcements that the angels themselves gave at his birth. 
In Luke, we read of their chorus, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. Glory. The the majesty of the prince, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. The favor of his company. The refuge of his presence. Several months ago, as I was studying the Bible to prepare for uh, what we were going to be talking about here at Christmas time, and, and, I, and I looked to see what the Bible had to say about peace, I came to a psalm that struck me as the perfect outline for the angel's song. On one hand, glory, on the other hand, peace, and that, that psalm is Psalm 29, which we read this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me if you would. The the first two verses of Psalm 29 speak of the glory of God. There we read, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And thus in those words, you can hear the echo of what the angels would then sing. Glory to God in the highest. And with that, ascribing to the Lord all glory and strength is given. In Psalm 29, that is the first thought. That is the first thought which makes all other thoughts about God that much more convincing, powerful, and real. If God is the God of all glory and strength, then everything else about him is a matter of majesty and authority and confidence and purpose and, well, you can just fill in all the rest of those words. That's the first thought we have in the psalm. And even more, because of that strength, we have a gift then of a final thought. There you go from verse 1 down to verse 11. And there in verse 11, because the Lord is enthroned in glory forever, in verse 1 and verse 11, he gives strength to his people. And he says here, he blesses his people with peace. Glory to God in the highest and on his people the favor of his blessing, with his people comes the gift of peace. What a wonderful connection between the two. What the angels announced at Jesus' birth was an echo of what we find in the book of Psalms. With God, there is peace. But I want you to look a little bit deeper into this psalm to fully appreciate what this means. If the angels were following the the outline of Psalm 29 in their chorus book, in my imagination, there would have had to have been a, a pause in their song. They would have probably sung it this way. Glory to God in the highest, pause. And on earth, peace. That is if they're following Psalm 29. Look at, again at verse 29. Verses 1 and 2 speak of the glory of God. Verses 10 and 11 speak of the peace of God. But in the middle, separating the two, you have verses 3 through 9, and when, when you read them carefully and, and you study them well, you will find in them a fury of what many will call an act of God. When you hear about an act of God, especially if you work for ICBC, you know it's a disaster. And, and, and all these things that are there in verses 3 through, uh, through 9 are, are, are ascribed to God, but they are disasters for humans. Because what you have is God, uh, nature really on a rampage. Look at verse 3. You have thunder and water and floods. In verse 
4, you have the roar of a storm. In verse 5, you have hurricane-force winds that break in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And in verse 5, uh, you have hurricane... Uh, I mean, verse 6 and 7... 6 and 8, I'm sorry, you have earthquakes. In, in verse 7, you have lightning. And in verse 9, you have tornadoes twisting their way on a path of destruction. That's all being described in those verses. One Old Testament scholar, William Scroge, has called this the most graphic description of a thunderstorm and of all natural forces unleashed to be found in the entire biblical record. Exodus doesn't have anything on this, when you think of it. And the fact is, many of us know what it's like to be in a storm. In a place where we are surrounded by forces far beyond our control. And you know what it's like to be powerless in the face of chaos. Some of you here right now might find yourself somewhere lost in the middle between the glory of God and the peace of God because you are in the storm, just spinning. When the angels sang, they might have well taken that pause to take a breath. Glory to God in the highest Peace on earth. The reality of human life puts us right in the middle between the two. And it's in the middle where we need Jesus Christ to be the Prince of Peace. With his birth at Christmas, he entered the storm. He entered our storm, your storm, my storm. There to meet you that we might be safe. And that we might be saved. I want to read a little story that is written by a fellow pastor, uh, Walter Wangerin, a pastor in Indiana, as a testimony of the sort of peace that is to be found with the Prince of Peace. It's a little long, but stay with me as I read. Walter Wangerin writes, he says, We have a custom in our congregation. We gather on Sunday evening before Christmas and go out into the sharp December darkness to sing carols. It was on Sunday evening, the 20th of December in 1981, that we kept our custom and went out caroling. My daughter Mary was seven years old then, and most of the children's choir had come along as we went to the St. Mary's Hospital to sing for several members who were patients. As pastor, I myself led a handful of children to the room of Odessa Williams. Her condition was worse than all the others, and it was Odessa Williams who made that night different than any other. The children had never laid their eyes on her before. When they crept into the ward, they saw her, and they were speechless, scared, I think. I knew what to expect if they, if they didn't. I had been visiting this woman for years. Two years before, she had been a strapping, tall woman of strong ways, strong opinions, and very strong affections. Fiercely, she had loved the church. But now, cancer had laid her in the hospital. And it was cancer that frightened the children as they crept around her her bed on Sunday night, coming to sing carols to her. It put an odor in the air, and it had wasted Odessa to the bone. And as the children entered the room, they grew solemn, unable to take their eyes from the form before them. One little hospital lamp shed an orange light on the hollows of Odessa's face, sunken cheeks and sunken temples and deep, deep eyes. The lids on her, on her eyes were thin as onion skin, half closed. Her flesh was dry like parchment. And the body that was once a strapping woman now resembled broomsticks in a bed. Skinny arms, 
fingers as long as chalk, and who could tell if the woman was breathing? Mary, my daughter, stood across the bed from me, gazing down at Odessa. Mary's eyes kept growing larger. I whispered to all of them, sing. But they shuffled instead. What is this? I whispered. Did you lose your voices? Don't you think she'll like it? We don't think she'll hear, said Mary. No, no. Sing the way you always do, I said. Sing for Ms. Williams. And so they did. That wide-eyed ring of children, it was a pitiful effort at first, away in a manger. By the time the cattle were lowing, however, the children had found comfort in the sound of their voices and began to relax. And Odessa opened her eyes, and there was a light in there. She began to pick out the faces, and I saw Mary was returning Odessa's look with a fleeting little smile. And so the children harked with the herald angels, and they found their, in their bosoms the first Noel that the angels did say, and then a marvelous thing began to happen. Odessa Williams was frowning, frowning and nodding, frowning with her eyes squeezed shut, frowning, you see, with fierce pleasure. So then Mary and all the children were grinning because they knew instinctively what the frown of that old black woman meant. She loved the sound. The marvelous thing that had begun could only grow even more marvelous still. I whispered to one little girl, Dee Dee. The innocent girl glanced at me and I said, Dee Dee, silent night. Dear Dee Dee, that girl... She stroked the very air as though it was a chime of glass. And so high she soared on her crystal voice, so long she held the notes that the rest of the children just hummed and harmonized all unconsciously as they began to swing, sway together, round yon virgin, mother and child. And Odessa's eyes, they flew open to see the thing that was happening around her. She looked and she raised her long, long arms and then lying back on her back, the old woman began to direct the music. With strong strokes, she lifted Dee Dee Lawrence. She pointed the way and Dee Dee trusted her, so Dee Dee sang a soprano descant higher and braver than she had ever sung before. Impossible! Stroke for stroke with imperious arms, Odessa Williams gathered all the children and urged them to fly and sent them on a celestial flight to glory. These were not children anymore. They were the stars. And their voices ascended on a fountain of light to become the very hosts of heaven so high and so holy. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, so beautiful. And then... That woman brought them down again by meek degrees to the earth and to this room and to her bedside. And there they stood, perfectly still, smiling and silence and waiting. How could anyone move immediately after such wonder? Odessa didn't disappoint them. She began in a low and a smoky voice to preach. Oh, children, you my choir she whispered. Oh, choir, you listen me, she whispered intently. And she caught them one by one on the barb of her eye. Ain't no one standing from in front of you. For goodness, no, you the best, my babies. You the absolute best. And the children gazed at her. And and the children believed her completely. They were the best. And my Mary, too. 
She believed what she was hearing, heart and soul. Listen to me, Odessa said. When you sing, whenever you go sing, you look to the front row of the people who come to hear you and sing. There'll always be an empty seat. So you see it. The children know, uh, nodded. You know what that empty space is? And the children nodded, uh, shook their heads. It's me, she said. And they nodded. It's me, she whispered in the deep orange light. Because I've always been with you children. And whenever you sing, I'm going to be with you still. And you know how I can say such a maculous thing? Well, they waited to know. She lowered her voice and she told them, Why? Because we in Jesus. She whispered the mystery. Babies, babies, we be in the hand of Jesus. Old ones, young ones, and us and you together. Jesus, he holds us in his hands, and he ain't no one going to snatch us out. Jesus, he don't let none of us go. Never, no, ever. So spoke Odessa, and then she fell silent. So said the woman with such conviction and with such fierce love that the children rolled tears from their open eyes, and they were not ashamed They reached over, they patted the bones of her body beneath the blankets. Mary's eyes, too, were glistening. That woman had won over my daughter. And in that incandescent moment, Mary had come to love Odessa Williams. She slipped her soft hand toward the bed, and she touched the tips of Odessa's fingers. And she smiled and she cried at once, for this is the power of a wise love, wisely expressed, to transform a heart suddenly and forever. On Tuesday, the 22nd of December, Odessa Williams died. It had been a long time coming, but it was, in the end, it came quickly, and she left us little time to mourn her. The wake would take place on Wednesday evening, the funeral on Thursday morning, and there was no alternative. Friday was Christmas Day. At lunch on Wednesday, I mentioned to my children that Ms. Williams had died. I scarcely noticed that Mary... Mary, my daughter, had stopped eating and stared at her bowl of soup. Dad, is it, is it going to snow tomorrow, she asked. What? I, I don't know. How would I know? It shouldn't snow, she said. But you always wanted snow at Christmas, I said. And in a tiny voice, she whispered, I want to go to the funeral. That was it. She was considering what to wear against the weather, and I said, fine, and I left. But Thursday came gray and hard and cold. The sky was sullen with heavy clouds, and at the church I discovered Mary outside the door. In fact, she was standing on the sidewalk while her mother parked the car. She was staring at the sullen sky. Mary, I said, are you coming in? She glanced at me. Dad, it's going to snow. Come in, Mary. We don't have time to talk. Come in. She entered the church ahead of me, and she climbed the steps in the narthex. She started up the aisle toward the cassock. She looked down at Ms. Williams. Oh, no, she murmured. The child was reaching her hand toward the tips of, of Odessa's fingers, fingers like sticks of shock, but she didn't pause. But she paused, and she didn't touch them. Suddenly, she bent down, and she pressed her cheek to the, fing, her, to the fingers, and she pulled back, and she stood erect. Dad, she hissed. Dad, she wept. They can't put Ms. Williams in the grave today. It's going to snow on her grave, and it's going to snow on Ms. Williams. I knelt down, and I gathered to myself, and I hugged her tightly, hugged her hard, hugged her until the sobbing passed from her body, and then I released her. So the funeral, the sermon, the graveside. 
And I had to be the pastor again, but as we left the cemetery, at the cemetery, cemetery, she grabbed my hand. Dad, her blue eyes flashing, she pointed to the sky. It was starting to snow. On Christmas Eve, we celebrated the evening always with the children's pageant. I worried terribly for Mary all day. As it happened, she was to be the Mary of the pageant, the virgin, the mother of the infant Jesus. So I found her alone in her bedroom, gazing out the window. Mary, I said, <clears throat> do you want us to, 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 to get together another Mary, Mary for the play? She kept watching the snow come down. Slowly she shook her head. No, she goes, I'm Mary. And so she was going to be Mary at the Christmas pageant. And I sat with the congregation to watch. The light in the sanctuary dimmed to darkness. The chancel glowed a yellow illumination. And soon my daughter stood with pinched lips, central to all. My soul, said Mary, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The child was surviving, but she was not rejoicing. Some angels came, they giggled, they sang, they left. A decree went out, another song was sung, and two figures, Joseph and Mary, moved to the floodlight chancel in a wooden trough filled with straw and a floppy doll in diapers. Mary stuck out her bottom lip and began to frown at the major in front of her. The frown grew fiercer, not at all like the devout and beaming parent she was supposed to be portraying. She frowned so hard, blacking her eyes in such deep shadow that I thought she would break into tears again. All at once, as though she had made a sudden decision, she yanked the doll out of, by its toes. She stood up and she clumped down the chancel steps, the doll like, doll like a dish rag at her side. She carried it into the darkened sacristy, uh, sank, sacristy on the right, and she disappeared through its door out into the night. <laughs> in a moment, she re-entered, carrying nothing at all. Briskly, she returned to the manger, up three steps as light as air, and down she knelt, and she gazed upon the empty straw with her palms together like the first Mary, after all, full of adoration. There was a fla- the flash of tears on her cheeks, but they were not unhappy, and the manger, open and empty, seemed to receive them one by one. At the end, the entire congregation sang. Candlelight was passed from hand to hand, and a living glow spread everywhere throughout the church. And then a soft flight followed. Dee Dee Lawrence allowed her desk and voice its high celestial freedom, and she flew. Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And having touched the crystal heaven, Dee Dee descended, and the congregation sighed, and everyone sang, sleep in heavenly peace. And Mary afterwards sat beside me in the car as we drove home. A sifting snow blew lightly across the windshield and closed us in privacy. Dad? What? Dad, Jesus wasn't in the manger. That wasn't Jesus. That was a doll. Dad, what? Jesus, he doesn't have to be in a manger, does he? He goes back and forth, doesn't he? He came down from heaven, and he was born right here, but then he went back to heaven again, and because he came and went, he's coming and going all the time, right? Right, I whispered. The manger is empty, Mary said. And then she said more gravely, Dad, Ms. Williams' box is empty too. I figured it out. We don't have to worry about the snow anymore. 
She stared out the windshield a moment, and then she whispered the next thing as softly as she was peeping at presents. It's only a doll in her box. It's like a great big doll, Dad, and we put it away today. I figured it out. If Jesus can cross, if Jesus can go across, then Ms. Williams, she crossed the same way too, but she did it with Jesus. The echo of the words hit me. Jesus, he don't let one of us go. Never. No, never. Dad? Yeah. Why are you crying? Babies, babies, we be in the hands of Jesus. Old ones, young ones, and us and you together. Jesus, he holds us in his hand, and ain't no one going to snatch us out. Jesus, he don't never let one of us go, never, not ever. Dad? What? Don't cry. It's okay now. It always was, and it always will be. It was in the fullness of time when Christ the child first was born, and it was in 1981 when my daughter taught me the time and the crossing of times that occurs on Christmas Eve. It is in every celebration of Christ's own crossing, and it shall be forever, this power of peace from the Prince of peace, the power to transfigure the heart suddenly and forever. We be in Jesus. We be in Jesus. And when he holds us in his hand, he ain't ever gonna let you go, never. Never, not ever. The Lord gives strength to his people, we read. And the Lord blesses his people with peace. Are you in his hand, in the hand of God? Babies, babies, we be in the hand of Jesus. Old ones, young ones. You and me together. And he don't never let one of us go. No. Not ever. Let us pray. More than just a hymn sung in the heavens, Heavenly Father, the angels introduced us to a reality that comes from heaven, something the world will not know except for you. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, we have peace. Peace in the wonderful name and governed by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.